Uh, This morning we're reading in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 9. If you have that in the really big version of the Bible, the version, um, it's on page 1787. Don't know the other pages, though. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Thanks, Garola. Thanks, Sue. Uh, Thank you, Grove, for welcoming me in here. You know, I always thought that Zacchaeus took a little bit more money because he was always short. That was, anyway, that's just me. Ah, excellent. Uh, Well, it'd be great if you could keep your Bibles open. It'd be great if you could have your outlines ready uh, as we crack into Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 to 9. Well, on September 30th, 1938, Neville Chamberlain ran back into London from Munich with a piece of paper signed by himself and Hitler. Uh, not only had he gone to Munich to make this great big peace pact between Germany and England as the storms of war brewed, uh, he had gone with the hope of achieving peace. Chamberlain came back holding out this piece of paper, proclaiming a peace for our time. Less than one year later, in September 1939, Britain and Germany were at war. Fast forward a couple of decades, on June 10th, 1963, President John F. Kennedy, in his speech to the American University in Washington, D.C., in the shadow of the Cold War, called for peace in our time and peace for all time. Less than six months later, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Or fast forwarding to even our day today, earlier this week there was that crisis in Hawaii where an emergency alert was sent out to every phone for the 1.5 million people living on the islands, saying, alert, incoming missile from North Korea. This is not a drill. It took them 40 minutes to work out that there was actually an accidental pressing of a button. Peace in our time. Or bringing it a bit closer to home, uh, can we have peace in our time? Maybe you've never had this experience, but having your neighbours throwing a bit of a party on a Monday night at two in the morning and still having the music going. Peace in our time. Or that moment when a co-worker blames you for their mistake. Peace in our time. Maybe you've had the experience of a child screaming at you, I hate you. Can we have peace in our time? Well, that's exactly what God promises us in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 to 9. 
which Corolla read out for us just before. See, Philippians is a letter written by Paul to the church in modern-day Greece, a church in turmoil, a church facing opposition from inside and from outside, a church which Paul dearly loves. And it's out of his love for this church that he desperately longs for them to stand firm in Jesus. So Paul writes them this letter to the church in Philippi, exhorting them to live in the peace of Jesus. So Paul claims that the peace in our time is a real thing because Jesus has given us peace by dying on the cross. We can have peace in our relationships by living with the mind of Christ leading us. We can have peace in our relationships, in our time, by living with our reflexes guarded by the peace of Christ. And we can have peace in our time by living with lives devoted to God. So, uh, point one in your outlines, we have peace in our time by living out our relationships led by the mind of Christ. Please look with me at verses 2 and 3 of Philippians 4. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, we don't really know what was going on between Yodia and Syntyche. We can have a few guesses. But verse 3, I don't know if you noticed it there, they were co-workers with Paul. They were gospel workers. They might have been home group leaders. They could have even been friends. But then that moment came. Maybe Yodia's son hit Syntyche's daughter. Syntyche was a bit grumpy. So she took Yodia's son aside and, and smacked him and told him off. She kind of thought to herself, man, Yodia's a bad parent. Yodia was really cross that Syntyche had done that, had taken discipline into her own hands without talking to her. In fact, the next time Yodia was on prayers at church, she prayed for Syntyche, who was struggling as a parent. All of a sudden, it just escalated. Uh, you couldn't talk to Yodia at morning tea without Syntyche giving you the death glare. You had to choose sides. This was a church intention. And when whatever started this debate, whatever started this dispute, we can imagine how they would have been feeling as you have Epaphras standing there reading this letter from Paul. We get to chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, and Paul says, Be like-minded. Have the same love. Be one in spirit and mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You can imagine Yodia sitting there thinking, I hope Syntyche's hearing this. Or in chapter 3, verse 15, if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Syntyche would just be smirking to herself there, thinking, can God really get it through Yodia's head? And then we get to chapter 4, and Paul says, I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche. Have the same mind in Christ. Agree. All of a sudden, every head in the church turns around and looks at them. Now, I've got a bit of a surprise for you today, actually. I've got a letter here from Mike uh, while he's on leave. And it's actually a really short letter. He just says, Alex, Seb, get over it. I don't know what it's about. Oh. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> okay, I don't really have a letter here from Mike. But if I did, are there any of us in here who might squirm a little bit? 
just feel that little bit uncomfortable if Mike was going to call out names, call out disputes. Paul's urge is very direct. Have the same mind in the Lord. Having the same mind means seeing ourselves and one another from Jesus' point of view. Having the mind of Christ means that we realize we have a lot more in common with each other than we don't. We're both saved by Jesus alone. We both have God's Holy Spirit working in us to make us look more like Jesus. We both believe the same gospel. We both have our names written in the book of life. That's what verse 3 talks about. We're going to be roommates for eternity. So in 500 years' time, will it really matter that a fellow Christian ordered two-ply toilet paper instead of three-ply? If Christians live with the mind of Christ, we will have peace in our relationships. We'll have peace in our relationships because we'll see how much we have in common with one another. When we have this perspective on our relationships, when we see them from Jesus' perspective, then our innate reactions change. Our reflexes change. It's because our relationships are where our anxieties, our reflexes, our joys play out, which brings us to point two on your outlines. We'll have peace in our time if we live with reflexes guarded by the peace of God. Now, anyone in here have good reflexes? Just out of curiosity? No? Oh, hey, team effort. Good stuff. Our reflexes are the way we react initially. The way we react when we don't really think about it, when we don't take the time to pause. And Paul says that the peace of God in our relationships shapes our reflexes. In fact, four of our default responses are shaped by the truth that Jesus is near and that we have the peace of God in our relationships. Look with me at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Paul wants Christians to have a rejoice reflex. Paul says rejoice in the Lord always. Not rejoice in the Lord when you're healthy. Rejoice in the Lord when you get that promotion. Rejoice in the Lord when you get that HD that you've been working for. No. Paul says rejoice Always. Now look at Paul, okay? When he's writing Philippians, Paul's in prison. Paul has people distancing themselves from him, saying, I don't know that Paul guy. I'm not associated with him. Paul's on death row. He's facing severe injustice. And yet, as we read through Philippians, time and time again, Paul comes out and says, I rejoice, dot, dot, dot. Paul is a man whose life is shaped by having a rejoicing reflex. And the reason why he's rejoicing is because he's rejoicing in the Lord. His reason for rejoicing is not about what's happening to him here and now, but it's all about what God has already done for him and will continue to do for him. His reason for rejoicing is that Jesus died for him, taking away his sins and making him right with God forever. Paul's reason for rejoicing is that Jesus was raised from death to life, guaranteeing that Paul would have exactly the same thing happen for him. Paul's reason for rejoicing is that Jesus ascended into heaven and is ruling now and is sovereign over every situation he's in. 
Paul's reason for rejoicing now is that Jesus is going to come again. And as he wrote back in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, when Jesus comes again, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, we have exactly the same reason for rejoicing. Isn't that great? How does it leave us feeling? There are plenty of reasons for us to rejoice always. So how's our rejoice reflex going? Where do our minds gravitate when we're in a situation that's bad? Or when we're in a situation that's good? Now, on the other hand, you might be someone here today who wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus yet. If, if that's you, I'm so glad you're here. It's so good to be here at Trinity Grove. This is a great place to come to check out who Jesus is. And hopefully you've already seen Christians rejoicing in Jesus. He's a great reason to rejoice no matter what. So I actually want to push it onto you uh, in the same way that it was pushed onto me. There is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Either rejoicing, delighted, going, yes, at last, everyone sees it. Or with that severe, oh no moment. So will you be rejoicing when Jesus comes again? At the very least, it's worth checking him out more. So keep coming to the Grove. Fill in your name on this Connect card and write down that you'd like to find out more about Jesus. There's a life course which is great for that. Find out more about Jesus. I guarantee he is the best reason to rejoice. Well, that's the first reflex. The second reflex Paul challenges us on is our gentleness reflex in verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Now, I go to the gym semi-irregularly, all right? And I've noticed that there are some people whose muscles are evident to all. These are the type of people who will eat protein powder raw. These are the people who will go to do bench press and they'll grab a stack of weights, load them on the bar one by one. And then they'll get down on the bar, look at themselves in the mirror quickly before bending down, grab it, and they'll do one single rep. But it will be the loudest rep you've ever heard. It's... Then they'll put it back and they'll be done and they'll be pleased with themselves. Their muscles are evident to all. So what does it mean for us to have our gentleness evident to all? What does Paul mean by gentleness? Well, gentleness is exactly the attitude that Jesus had. See, it's worth checking out Philippians 2, 5 to 11 again and again as you read through this letter. Jesus had every right to stay safe with God, to stand right by God. He had every right to rule over the whole world without coming to earth. But he didn't use those rights. Why? Jesus didn't use those rights because he wanted to save us. So maybe it's when we get the blame at work for something we didn't do. Maybe your husband or your wife said a biting comment about your parenting. Having a gentleness reflex means having rights, but not demanding that we have to use them. 
It's about being like Jesus in our relationships. Just imagine if Yodia and Sintiki, whatever was going on, if they had had a gentleness reflex that was this strong, this fight would have been over a long time ago. Paul wouldn't have had to write to them about it. Well, third, in verse 6, Paul commands Christians to not be anxious about anything. Be anxious about nothing. I don't know about you, but I find that a little bit hard. I know all too well what it's like to be up at 3 in the morning just playing over and over again in your mind that conversation that you've got to have. Playing over and over again that upcoming assignment deadline which you should have started working on earlier. We have heaps of anxieties, don't we? It could be about unwanted same-sex attraction. It could be stressing about whether a loved one is safe tonight or not. It could be about whether I'm going to have a job tomorrow. Be anxious about nothing? Well, fortunately for us, Paul gives us the antidote to our anxiety. Instead of being reflexively anxious, he commands us to reflexively make our requests known to God. Now, a few years ago, as I was driving home, uh, I tried to call Chantel just to say, I'm on my way home, how are you doing, how was your day? Uh, Chantel didn't answer, which, you know, could have been any number of reasons. But then as I pulled into our shared unit driveway, I saw an ambulance with its lights on parked right outside our house. Now, Chantel was actually fine. It was our neighbour who'd had a fall, and she turned out to be okay eventually, but, you know, she broke her hip. But for that moment, that moment when I turned down the driveway, that moment when I saw the ambulance and hadn't heard from Chantel, there are all sorts of thoughts going through my mind. What's happened to Chantel? Is everything okay? Why didn't she answer? Oh no, you know, did I miss something last night when she was you know, feeling a little bit sick? Was that cough not just an innocent cough? I thought the worst. In that moment, I was anxious. I was thinking you know, all these thoughts and I was ignoring God. Anxiety is looking at a problem and thinking, how can I possibly deal with this in my strength? And by being anxious, I'm not trusting God. By being anxious, I'm not trusting the God who is in control. By being anxious, I'm not trusting the God who has saved me from the biggest problem I have, my sin. And yet, when we turn to God in prayer, when we bring him our problems, we're not just doing a power of positive thinking. We're not just getting a placebo effect that makes us feel better. We're talking to the all-powerful creator of the universe who loves us, who cares for us, who didn't hold back his only son from saving us. The all-powerful God and creator of the universe who hears our prayers. In fact, if we really believe that God is all-powerful, if we really trust him, then praying when we're facing anxieties, praying when we're worried about someone else, that's the best thing we could possibly do. So how's our prayer reflex going? Well, not only does Paul talk about don't be anxious and pray, and he attaches a promise to these instructions. Look with me at verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus. When Paul talks about guarding, he's talking about having like this firm military unit surrounding our hearts and our minds. 
a series of bodyguards protecting us. He's talking about having the peace of salvation, guarding our hearts and our minds from anxious thoughts. The peace of right relationship with God forever. And isn't that awesome? When we pray, our problems might not disappear immediately. But we've entrusted them to the God of the universe who's in control, who cares about us, who knows our problems and is dedicated to bringing us to look more and more like Jesus, to shine like stars. Again, let's think about Yodia and Syntyche. Imagine if instead of being anxious about being seen to be right or being anxious about who was on their side and who was on someone else's side. Imagine if. Instead of that, they prayed for one another. They prayed for God to take care of it. The peace of God which transforms relationships and transforms our reflexes goes one step further. It changes the direction we're going and it changes what we devote ourselves to. So point three on your outlines. We have peace in our time by living lives devoted to God. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Well, in verse 8, Paul tells us what we should think about. He says we should devote our minds to whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Easy. Paul's calling us to think about what is of ultimate value. Now, this list is very similar to lists that philosophers around Paul's time talked about when it came to being virtuous. But those philosophers were thinking about friendships. Or thinking about Caesar or... Great political works. But while philosophers thought about those things, Paul knows what trumps everything. It's the gospel of Jesus. Everything we think about has to be filtered through the lens of the gospel of Jesus. Because the gospel is the gold standard of what is true, noble, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. So if we're thinking about movies or TV shows... How do they look filtered through the gospel lens? If we're thinking about relationships, how do they look through the gospel lens? If we're thinking about work, how does it look through the gospel lens? See, it's like when you've had the best steak. I'm really sorry if you're a vegetarian or a vegan at this point. If you've had the best steak, every steak you have after that is compared to that steak. And they just won't measure up. But you'll, you'll be able to say, this is kind of praiseworthy about this steak compared to the best steak. That beautiful medium rare with a red wine juice. A little bit of rock salt just sprinkled on top playfully. And the most tasty pureed mash that you've ever had. Keep bringing a gospel lens to everything we think about. Well, second, Paul calls us to devote our actions to Christ. We can see in them here in verse 9. Whatever you've learned or received or heard or saw in Paul, put it into practice. Now, none of us have actually seen Paul the same way that the Philippians did. But we've got the Bible. We can see what Paul's life looked like. We can see what he taught. We can see how he lived and responded. Paul is being comprehensive here. Everything in his life 
whether he taught it or whether he passed it on from other apostles, whether they saw it themselves, whether they heard about it as a report. The Christians in Philippi are to follow everything in Paul's life and ministry. And the same goes for us. For those of us here who are followers of Jesus, we need to follow Paul's example and teaching. Which being here at the Grove is actually a great way to do that. To keep one another in here at the Grove. To keep being alongside each other. Not only that, I've heard such great things about the Grove. I've been so excited to hear from Jack, from Mike, from my friends Nathan and Brooke about what you guys have been doing here. How you've been caring. How you've been so welcoming. How you've been getting alongside your community, your friends, your neighbours, your peers, your colleagues. And inviting them into your homes and your lives. That's so fantastic to hear. Keep it up. Keep following the example of guys like Mike, guys like Jack, your home group leaders. Keep following the example of Paul. Well, Paul finishes with the wonderful promise, the God of peace will be with you all. Not in the may the force be with you kind of wish, in a direct, firm, God will be with you. Because ultimately we have peace in our time by having God with us. One of Jesus' names, Emmanuel, well, Jesus made an incredible promise in being called Emmanuel. It means God with us. Jesus' words to his disciples before he went to heaven were, I will be with you all to the very end of time. We can't have peace in our time outside of Jesus. No one can. Which means that anyone who tries to find peace outside of God, it's, it's not going to be a peace that lasts. No. We find peace by being connected to God. Peace being connected to the source of peace. Peace being connected to God who is the source of all salvation. We find peace in salvation. Isn't that great? In fact, this kind of peace is the kind of peace that means everything else in the world could be against us and we can still stand. It's not a cheap peace. It's not an easy peace. It's being connected to the source of all peace. So let's be deliberate in pursuing this peace. Let's be deliberate in setting our hearts and our minds on Christ. Devoting ourselves to him. Let's put into practice what we've learned from our Christian leaders like Paul. So we have peace in our time by living with our relationships governed by the mind of Christ. We have peace in our time by living with our reflexes shaped by the peace of Christ. And finally, we have peace in our time by devoting ourselves intentionally to the peace of Christ with our thoughts and our actions. Trinity Grove, this peace is holistic. This peace is not an idealistic promise. It's a gospel promise, a promise connected to being with Jesus. A promise that when we get our relationship right with God through Jesus, our relationships with one another, our reflexes and our proactive devotion are all transformed by his peace. We have real peace in our time and peace for all time through Jesus. Let's talk to God. Father God, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the peace he achieved for us on the cross, that you brought us into right relationship with you through his death. Help us to live in your peace. Help us in our relationships, in our reflexes and in our devotion to live out your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.